0: Welcome to the FASD Success Show, the only podcast where you can get real world information about fetal alcohol
1: spectrum disorder.
0: This show will help you create calm in the chaos, have hope for the future, and more importantly, save your sanity so you don't lose your flipping
1: mind.
2: Now, here's your host, caregiver turned world FASD educator, Jeff Noble. everybody welcome to the FASD success show I'm your host Jeff Noble thank you so much for being here this is the podcast all about FASD success, all about creating success in caregivers and individuals on, on the spectrum, uh, to those who are on the front lines working with individuals on the spectrum, and that's what we do here. And how do we do it? We do it by having amazing conversations with some amazing people. And my guest today, guys, uh, is is out of this world. You will want to make sure you are in a place where you can either listen to this again and take notes, uh, be check out our blog at, uh, success.com slash blog to read what we got written down with the notes. Uh, or y- you know, you'll want to be stationary when you want, when you listen to this, because our guest today is Tracy Masterangelo, which I butcher. It's not really the Italian way to pronounce it, but that's okay. And we got a smart cookie. Uh, we have somebody who knows who gives some great advice, great insight. I'm excited. You should be excited. Uh, So we got that coming up. You know why else I'm excited? Why else? Is that? I don't know. I don't know anymore. But I do know this. I do know this. I do know that by the time you're listening to this, it is February. Yeah, boy. We made it. We made it through January. We just got to get through February. Hopefully some nicer weather in March. But you're doing it. We are doing it. And uh, I'm so glad you're spending this uh, time with me. It has been hard. It has been a slog. Uh, I get that. Everybody's feeling it. But let's just keep pushing through. And one of the ways to keep pushing through is to keep learning. uh, To keep learning and to make your home uh, more peaceful. If you are a caregiver to an individual on the spectrum, spectrum, you know, this, I, you know, I don't have to sit there and tell you how tough this is. But what we want to do is we want to create more peace. And how do we create more peace is by getting more insight. Uh, and that's what we're going to do here today. Uh, again, before we jump right to the interview, because it's important. I just want to say, hey, if this is your first episode, thank you so much for checking us out. You will not be disappointed. If this is your 50-something episode, uh, thank you so much for sticking by me. I really appreciate it. If you hadn't done already, could you please uh, make sure you subscribe to the show and, B, if you're really feeling up to it, uh, leave us a sweet sweet review. It just helps with all the beep-boop-boops and the algorithms uh, in the back uh, because We want to reach as many caregivers as possible so we can create as much success as possible. So when this pandemic is over, when when we are rolling back into uh, our normal lives, uh, we will do it with some sanity intact. We will do it with a plan intact. We will do it uh, by looking forward to the future. So, okay. So... You know when you talk to somebody and you're just like, whoa, you are smart, SMRT, right? That is exactly how I felt when I first uh, talked to uh, our guest today. Uh, About 2015, if I hadn't told the story already, I did a tour. Where I literally just asked people that are on my newsletter. I said, hey, I want to do a tour. Is anybody interested? Yeah. We had a lot of people interested. Kind of blew me away. We did 36 cities in 42 days or something like that. I could be confabulating a bit on the numbers. Uh, but it was, it was, it was a numerous events all over the country. One of the stops or stops, I went to Alberta, the province of Alberta. And I did six in a row. Like six full day trainings in a row. And I finally got to uh, Cold Lake, Alberta, which is where Lakeland Center for Fetal Alcohol is, which is awesome. Also, my friend uh, Brenda Furland is up there as well. And they were hosting me to talk and I met them and Tracy was sitting at the restaurant and she just went off. Not like I just just had a casual conversation and I had to take notice. I had to sit up. Like, just because uh, you know, you know, when they're good. So, I'm bringing her to you uh, because uh, she is amazing. Also, uh, I think I left my laptop charger in another uh, town. Uh, So, she let me use hers. So, she's cool. I'll tell you what else she is. Tracy's focused her career in the social work and education fields in both Alberta and the Yukon Territory. Her work has focused mainly on supporting families and uh, children and youth with complex needs, including uh, as the provincial coordinator of wellness resiliency and partnerships it's the, called the wraparound program an education-based in, initiative for students with fasd tracy has a master's degree in interdisciplinary studies uh, with a focus on uh, psychosocial interventions in school and in school communities Ah, butchered that i did my best uh, no doubt get ready to learn just get ready to learn we'll come back and we'll talk about it i'm ready are you ready all right let's go all right, everybody, here I am with Tracy Mastrangelo. And uh, we what? talked before that it's uh, it that was a butcher job, and it's the Canadian version. How do you say the Italian version?
0: I, I, okay, not being Italian, but marrying in, I would say Mastrangelo.
2: See, that sounds I so kinda, great. So, you got, great. yeah, people can't see it, but you're even using your... Like a conductor, your your hand. Yeah. And that's excellent. Marrying into it, Italy, that came with the food? That came with, you know, nonas and nanas and the four yeah. courses?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Nonas and nonas. And uh, I actually married an only child in an Italian family, which is a little bit odd. But, um, we have like all of the cousins, which become like brothers and sisters, right? So (laughs) big family, they live on the West coast. I'm in Alberta. So we spend time with them when in non-COVID times, uh, and usually it's like two weeks at a time where I get intensive cooking lessons and then forget by the next year.
2: Yeah. That's so nice. And then everybody smashes carbs and passes out on plastic uh, covered furniture.
0: The, you know what? If this was not true, it would be funny. But it is so true. Yeah, no, no, no. Thank I you. dated
2: like back in the day, yeah. uh, a lady for uh, an Italian lady, and that's that's what happened. And I'm not, yeah. um, you know, my plastic waistline. Freezer, and
0: we even we even they they even like if there's a nice carpet, like plastic covers the carpet if you're going to go into that room.
2: You don't want the sauces on the carpet, okay? anyways. Or the okay. children. Uh, so listen, Ben. I'm I have you on here because the the podcast is. A lot of it is folks that I've met along the way and had great conversations. And I don't know if you remember when we met, it was uh, in a little restaurant, um, and it was you and Brenda, if you don't remember. And we were just shooting the breeze. And when you were talking, I was like, oh, God, she's so smart. And so I had to, like really pay attention to it yeah no no big deal i'm just sitting
0: you hard. must have been traveling all that
2: day and no no and, but you are. Awesome. and, so, and so you know and i've also had you talk to uh, my online folks as well and i think what you really what you do is really important in terms of education none so more important than now but before we get into the here and the now i like to find out the before uh i like to find out how people stumbled into fasd so just like you know, the Marvel adaptation. What is your origin story, Tracy?
0: My origin story. Um, so if we went way, way back, born and raised in Alberta um, and did most of my ed- earlier uh, education and uh, did my master's degree outside of Alberta, but born and raised in Alberta, uh, met a boy in university and followed him to the Yukon Territory, which um, really at that time, because it was, Eons ago, um, was was leading Canada in kind of the knowledge of FASD. So there was diagnosis was happening, although not necessarily in the territory. Um, definitely a recognized um, struggle that folks were dealing with in that territory. So I lived and worked um, in the Yukon for about twelve years, um, and so and in that time, in the lived and worked in the capacity of a social worker. So with Children's Services and a few different um, counseling agencies. And so always had touch points with folks um, with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, Organizations like FASI are um, deeply, deeply entrenched in that community and involved in lots of aspects of work in that community. So you always have um, touch points with that. Um,
2: That was my last... That was my last, uh, i looking on my calendar for last year. Uh, that was it. That was it before I was in the Yukon with, with Fassie before yeah. all, the, all the world uh, went to went to shite. Oh, but anyways, I digress. Really so, no, so, that's perfect. But when did you hear about it? Like, because did you go to school for social work? To be a wow. social worker? Did so
0: initially, you- my early education is social work. Um, and I think I probably heard it, early, like 96, 97, when I was working in some group care and treatment homes. Um, and at that time, we talked FAS and FAE, right? So we really separated out the two um, diagnoses at that time. And we tended at that time to think that FAS was a far, far worse version. If you had FAE, then it just meant that you might have some physical features Was kind of the thinking at that time, right? Since then, we've obviously changed our thoughts mm-hmm. and, and and our language around that. So worked in the Yukon, learned a lot more about FASD, um, and then after getting married and having some children, decided to move back to Alberta, um, and that's when I entered uh, the education system, specifically on a project that was looking at um, unique uh, and new ways to support students with FASD, and so specifically looking at um junior high and senior high students. So kind of that grade seven to grade twelve version. Um uh, and looking at unique ways to to provide that support. So it seemed like an opportunity to kind of uh I always say that I didn't go looking for FASD. It kind of found me, right? Yeah, and, that's uh, where
2: or, or you stumble into it or yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that kind of is how it happened. So I started um I started working in schools at that time and then um Consulting with that same organization and um, project, uh, and then eventually coordinating it provincially. So, kind of, kind of my story.
2: Yeah, and it, and it's awesome because uh, it's needed. And then you also do some work with uh, one of my favorites, Dr. Jackie Pie, and with professionals with or without parachutes.
0: We're without, yeah. We're without, without oh, you guys are
2: dangerous. You guys are dangerous. Yeah,
0: we're plummeting. We're plummeting to the earth.
2: Yeah, no doubt. But uh, you guys are doing uh, amazing work. And the school, right, the school happens to be the number one, if not the number one issue that, uh, you know, my audience uh, talks to me about, and especially now. So I, I, you know, I know some of the work I I know you for uh, is based around in the classroom. Uh, but I wonder if we can sort of talk to what's going on with this at-home learning. The reason I'm saying this is because one of the things you talked about uh, was uh, a study, and I for- I- I'm sorry, i sorry, I don't have their names, and if you don't remember, that's okay, but about the barriers to learning. Mm-hmm. So there was yeah, two absolutely. different barriers to learning. Uh, there was uh, academic and then non-academic barriers yeah. to learning. Yeah. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Because this is the first time that I've, I've heard it separated as as such.
0: Yeah. And so uh, that work is not specific to FASD, but definitely touches on FASD. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And which I think is always exciting. Um, And so really the premise is how do we provide integrated services into schools for students to reduce barriers to learning? So the idea being that um, the business of schools is to teach to teach students and deliver curriculum. And hopefully if all goes well, it's scaffolded and and you learn based on what you learned in grade three, you build on that in grade four. Um, But we know that uh, for multiple different reasons, some students, some kids have barriers to learning or things that are getting in the way of their learning, really. Um, And the the language is academic barriers to learning and non-academic barriers to learning. And so academic barriers to learning, our teachers are trained to address those and support those. So those are those could look like different learning disabilities, right? A reading disability or a math learning disability, um, which definitely our kiddos with FASD um, can have, right? It's a learning disability as well as the diagnosis. Yeah. And then the other piece is the non-academic barriers to learning. And so that's where we're looking at how do we provide integrated support into schools? So how do we provide people who can uh, support those non-academic barriers and put them right into schools, right in the middle of the school to support kids? And so non-academic barriers are all of the other pieces. Uh, social. Mental health, social learning, um, economic situations for families. Uh, history of trauma, history of abuse, those kinds of things um, that also get in the way, but teachers aren't necessarily trained to manage in the classroom. Uh-huh. But what we know, uh, those of us that work with students um, with any kind of struggle, including FASD, is that those barriers sometimes are bigger and more complex than the learning disabilities, right? Right. And so, how do we actually yeah. provide that support?
2: And, and And wouldn't the non-academics scramble their th- th- and increase their academic barriers, right? Like uh, mm-hmm. so if socially, you know, they can't interact or you know emotionally, they can't regulate to 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 learn. So that all blocks them. And would you say those situations would be exasperated for individuals on the spectrum?
0: Oh, absolutely. And because we know that um, individuals that are on the spectrum, we would consider them the most complex of the complex. Because not only do they have some of these these academic barriers to learning, right? It's very common to have a math learning disability diagnosed at the same time as an FASD. Um, but then we are we compound it by also having all of these other learning or all of these other barriers to learning which just exasperates everything, right? Makes, kind of every, makes everything blow up and seem bigger. And, and what we know is that often with the non-academic barriers to learning, that's where we start to see behaviors.
1: Okay.
0: That's where we start to see those pieces, which if, you've, if you're dealing with a behavior, Often that's what ends up getting students not engaged in classes, not engaged in the situation or whatever the learning is. Sometimes in some situations, they're asked to leave the class. That becomes a barrier to learning too, right? Um, and so it just kind of compounds and it's layers upon layers upon layers um, that results in in students, um, those with SASD, often not having success or not feeling success in school. So the idea really is how do we reduce and remove some of those barriers so that ultimately students can have success.
2: That's fair. So we, and correct me if I'm wrong. So we could say that teachers have been trained uh, with these learning disabilities, uh, you know, uh, dyslexia, or, you know, even a stutter or all of the, 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 the learning issues like math issues. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the non, Uh, uh, academic barriers, the social, emotional, uh, behavioral, it's safe to say that they're not trained in those specific to FASD.
0: And especially specific to FASD. I think that that becomes uh, really the key there, Jeff, is that especially considering FASD, because what what we know in working with that population, those of us that do work with that population, is that it, it often isn't just one thing. Right. It often is a whole gamut of, of pieces. And, um, because of the prenatal alcohol exposure, it's, there's, it's consistently inconsistent. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And
0: so, so what we have today, we might not have tomorrow. And, um, what we have this minute, we might not have the next minute. Right. Um, so I think that that becomes the other, the other key is that, um looking at things through the lens of FASD is not something that most teachers are trained in
2: and uh, even if you're trained it's hard right look normal uh talk normal what do you hear i don't know i hear this all the time they're so smart right you hear the the, the the they're so smart over and over and over again here's the okay so we know that there's barriers there's little to no training let's just be honest that's just it's maybe in a, uh, in a, a handful uh what happens is one of the things you mentioned you talk about relationship-based interventions which are o- which is awesome and I want to get into it but you 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 mentioned one of the mm-hmm. things that is needed is a shared understanding of FASD often there's miscommunication uh you know the the parent's idea or understanding of FASD is different from what a teacher might know mm-hmm you know, you're the professional, you're coming in, they're, they're obviously uh, more open. Have you had any experience when that became a barrier for a caregiver to uh, acquire accommodations for their kid? Because the the difference in the shared understanding of FASD, and sometimes teachers thinking that parents are, are part of the problem?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, sadly and unfortunately it's more common than I would hope. Right. Um, I, you know, Jeff, I often say that, um, I don't work in education because I think education is doing it right. I work in education. because yeah, right. so I think there's lots of room and space for growth and change. Um, and, and hopefully I can spark some of that. So is there times? Absolutely. There's times. And I think that, um, unfortunately for parents, what happens, is that they're following their kiddos right through the gamut of the school years, right? They're, they're having year upon year upon year. And so they're building on all of their, their, those experiences and the teacher or an educator might just have this snapshot of this year. And we're forgetting sometimes that the experts are really the parents. They have the knowledge, they have the history and the experience. Um, one of their child, and then also of specifically of FASD. In schools, one of the things that I've often found is that um, there's a bit of confusion. So we have FASD, we have ADHD, we have ODD, we have OCD, and teachers um, really aren't trained in that, right? They, they might take, uh, that all falls under the, under the umbrella of special education. And in a four-year teaching degree, you might have one course in four years. So that's one semester, one course, that's special education and everything that could fall under special education gets thrown into that one course. And so that's fine, except for that, we actually know that students with FASD have unique needs. We know that they can have tons of success because, um, because we've proven it and shown it. Yeah, um, I agree. and with right, And with the right support, um, and the right, um, interventions that success can happen. So, parents also have this push and desire for their students to be successful. And, and part of it is we, we're working really with two different systems. And parents, um, par- parents are often in the, in the situation where they're working with multiple systems, right? Um, and education being one of those systems. So, so education has their way of doing things, um, which, Students with FASD get thrown into that pot, but don't separate. it, not separated from that pot. One of the things I found uh, a lot in my work in schools is help trying to help teachers understand that the difference between, like you said, we have uh, there's tons of different acronyms and diagnoses that that students have. Um, but for teachers to try and separate what all of those are um, and what interventions to do for each of them. You've got 30 kids in your class and you've got some that have ADHD and yeah. you have some that have FASD and you have some that have anxiety and you have some that have depression and some with learning disabilities. How do you teach this curriculum to all? Um, my approach actually is to say to teachers, teach to the student that has FASD and you'll hit all of the rest of them.
2: Oh, that's a good one, dude. Yeah, absolutely. If that, uh, uh, because if that guy gets it, everyone will get it.
0: Yeah. 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 And, if, and and really, this, the strategies, and I use air quotes around that, Jeff, yeah. because I, I'm a little bit allergic to strategies. Because I feel like we kind of get stuck in these, if we see A, then we should do B, and then we'll get C. And that's not always the case, right? Um, I think it's individual. And I think that it's not necessarily behavior-based. So I like to say, you know what, kids with FASD, we, if we can find a way to teach them, which often takes these big grand ideas and breaks them down into smaller chunks, yeah. um, then we can see success for these students. Yeah. If we did that for all students, you know, um, Dr, Dr. Jackie Pye and Dr. Carmen Rasmussen have done um, the math intervention program.
2: Yeah, mile, right?
0: Mile program, yeah, that they took from the United States. And I use that with every student because, and every parent and every teacher that I talk about. I take that study and I say, you know, one of the greatest things that that study gave us was the idea of taking a number line, which we all grew up with. And number lines are, are typically, I mean, in my day, at the top of the chalkboard, right? And they go across the top of the chalkboard. And so students with FASD, what they found in that project protect- particular project and research was that students with FASD struggled with the number line it didn't make sense to them do you go to left to right or do you go right to left and where do you start on that number line and so the idea was take the number line and make it horizontal you can do that and it makes perfect sense for any child
2: yeah yeah it's the number
0: line and it makes perfect sense for any because child. it's
2: way less abstract
0: that's what we do right is if we can take those abstract concepts and make them concrete that works for anybody
2: also when we're talking uh if we're you know talking about dr pi's work i think this is still the mile uh program uh when she said uh individuals on the spectrum don't necessarily generate self-strategy So when they did the just that little strategy with repeating the numbers back, right, with the phone numbers, right? So for the folks at home that are listening to this, what she's talking about is, so if uh, Tracy was telling, uh, if I was telling Tracy my phone number, uh, I'll tell you all now, you can call me, no big deal, 416-805-9950, what's one of the strategies, right, Trey, you would say it over and over and over, like, that's what we do. And then what they found was folks on the spectrum just never knew that. yeah nobody taught them nobody taught them them. or and they couldn't generate self-strategies by watching others other people and And i think that is a huge barrier for families as well uh because we assume we just assume because that's how we learn from watching
0: that's right or taking those strategies jeff that they might have used in this situation to remember something uh Uh, to remember a verse and and then transferring that same strategy to something else right so I taught my own kids, I've teenagers now, and I taught them math, uh, their math times table by doing six times six is thirty-six. Six times six is thirty-six, right? We have that yeah. little song and they yeah, sing yeah. it over and over and over again. And then they can take that and go, seven times seven is forty-nine. And they can transfer that lesson to something else. And what we what they learned in that mile re- mile project research is that students with FASD weren't able to transfer that. And and however, the other piece, and excitingly, what they also learned in that research is that when you taught, yeah, yeah. that strategy, yeah, it worked.
2: Yeah, and yeah, said, yeah. Oh
0: my goodness, I can totally do this. So, from my perspective, I think always let's teach to the student that has FASD because if we can find the strategies and if we can make things uh, abstract down to the concrete enough. Uh, then we can see success with everybody. Who does that not make sense to?
2: No, it's true. And uh, I say the same thing like when I learned from Jackie or from somebody else. If I can understand it, you know, I can teach everybody to understand it, right? You know, because it's not the sharpest it's knife in the drawer, but good for a spoon. I digress. Let's talk about some of these barriers, okay? Because couldn't we agree that there, or would you agree that there are Added barriers because of COVID now that families are facing with schooling at home. Um, I'm telling you that you know people you know my caregivers are at their wits end. They you, you know they have a million different uh, systems they got to use uh, a thousand. They're in they they get anxiety opening their kids inbox. You know the parent does. They have multiple kids uh, on Zoom calls. Unless they're right beside them, they can't pay attention. So how do, A, we make parents feel better about if their kids are not doing six hours of school a day? And how can we, from what you know uh, about your work and your studies, about breaking some of those barriers so they can learn something? Like uh, I don't think anybody's coming out of this pandemic a Rhodes Scholar. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, But how can we increase like functioning and which will increase learning capacity?
0: So I think first, Jeff, uh, building on the part where you just said, nobody's coming out of this uh, scholar. Let's keep that into perspective, right? Like that needs to be our perspective. This is a global pandemic. There is not a single student in the world, in the world Mm -hmm. that this is not impacting. And so putting that into context, um, I think it becomes really important and I think it starts with teachers and it starts with our education system that needs to really be the ones putting that in context. Um, and then I think from there, we just trickle down, right? Six hours. Uh, you told me when we began this podcast, Jeff, that you've had to move to a standing desk yeah. because it, it was too much sitting. Yeah. And when we look at it in a course of a day in a school, if we had students in regular schools and regular classrooms, they're not sitting for six hours a day. Um, and so I think that in my opinion, it makes perfect sense. And as a parent um, for neuro kids with neuro non neurocognitive diversity, yeah, so
2: neurotypical, without
0: FASD, yeah, without FASD um, I'm advocating for my own kids all the time and saying, you know what? No. Oh, I to wanted to ask today. that.
2: Yeah, so because they're not str- like they're, it's not the same, right? And so,
0: it's not the same. Are, you, it's not are not you the same? And it shouldn't be the same. Yeah. When we talk about with the FASD population, change our expectations, yeah. we're not talking about the kids with FASD change their expectations. We're talking about the whole world change your expectations. And, and I think this is the perfect example of where, um, as educators, the expectations need, need to be changed. Um, we can't expect. Sorry, if this is what your curriculum was on a typical year, you can't expect that you're going to get through that. And that's just going to have to be really good teaching. And it's going to have to be teamwork amongst the teachers to know that, oh, if this is what I was supposed to teach in grade seven math and I didn't get to it. Hey, grade eight teacher, this is what you're this is what you're getting next year. So you're going to need to start back here instead of instead of up here. And we just need to have this is a great test in flexibility. Right. And in the rest of the world being flexible.
2: what I tell my families is this is actually a good time for us, you know, advocates with FASD because there has never been a time in history where you know, people understand more and are way more empathetic. And the opportunity is now is to change the rules uh, because there's the, the institution as it stands is, you know, the foundation has been lifted up and shifted. And so we now have the opportunity to even moving forward, whenever that, you know, we get back to whatever that looks like uh, to create, you know, new expectations for our guys. Uh, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now, there's also stuff you talk about in terms of, uh, so if it's even for an hour, let's say a day, that's our kids can manage, yeah. but even the, an hour sitting at once isn't, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, it up. Yeah. They up. Yeah. Our guys, and I don't know if it happened to even your kids, your neurotypical kids, or you're hearing this from schools, that uh, our guys will become increasingly dysregulated really fast right Mm -hmm. 30 kids Mm -hmm. on a zoom call it's a little bit easier maybe when the kids were behind you you know you know what i mean but now you're staring at everybody and and everything and they're becoming dysregulated somebody's Uh,
0: cat walks across the screen and
2: or someone coughs or someone says a joke or you know there's chats going like i i don't even know how anybody can manage it how, what, what are some of the tips? Because you talked about those interventions. What are some of those tips to help students, uh, regulate themselves or something that the parents can do in the home, uh, to, to just to maximize the, the, the effort that the kid's putting in?
0: Mm-hmm. So I think that, um, if we look at just simple things like upregulation and downregulation um, aspects as far as emotional regulation, um, there's tons of um, things that we can do as far as the breathing and all of those kinds of mindfulness practices that might help center us. Um, I do things with my kids. Uh, if you're not working in the, in the workspace that's provided, so sometimes my son likes to work at the kitchen counter because he wants to have a standing desk and that works better for him. Great. We also have a system at our house where every you if you're in a class, you can have your big ear earmuff, earmuff um headphones headphones on. Noise canceling headphones, so you're just hearing the teacher. And so and I can tell you that in recently in the last couple of months, um, I've had to advocate for my student, my child, for that, right? Because the teacher sent him a actually said to him, Take your earmuffs, take your earphones off. We're not listening to music right now. And yeah. I my response was Okay, just a second. Maybe you wouldn't want a student in your, a grade seven student in your regular classroom with earphones on. And I can respect and understand that. We're living in a pandemic. We have four people working from home right now. If you would like him to concentrate on what you're saying and be somewhat engaged, he's going to wear the earphones. And I think that that kind of a nudge and a reminder, uh, just for all of us, is important right now and it's fair and it's fair and when we're working with students when you've got a child who's got with FASD at home and you're trying to teach yeah we are just trying to do the best that we can do and and it's not about lowering the bar of expectation but it's about managing expectations and so maybe today uh maybe it's a a conversation with with the teachers if we've got math social science language arts And we say, you know what? We can't do all four of those every day. It's too much. It's too many transitions. Um, Plus, we're trying to find ways to upregulate and downregulate. We're trying to do breathing. We're trying to get outside. We're trying to exercise. We're trying to do all of these other things. Um, And so we need to say, Monday will be language arts. Tuesday will be science. Wednesday will be math. And break it down that way. Um, one, it it makes it a lot more manageable for us and it allows us to put in intentional breaks through the day um, and not feel like we're constantly trying to catch up to the emails and constantly trying to stay on top of all of those different pieces. That would be one of the things that I would suggest because I think that we just need to somehow, in the midst of all of this, figure out what our expectations are and what are our goals. So shared understanding and then from a shared understanding setting some shared goals, what are, what's our real expectations and our real goals here?
2: Uh, so that's, that's, that's true. You mentioned that, uh, you know, you're in a meeting and everybody's got a different goal. And so you're saying a shared goal. Uh, and so if this hasn't happened, maybe this is the next, next thing that the, the, the parents listening need to approach the teacher about having a shared goal. Like this is, this is what the outcome is given the ability and given the circumstances we're in.
0: Absolutely, and things like individual programs or IPPs, or in, you know, in different IEPs, locations, IEPs. It's a different different acronym for every school district, I think. Um, those are still in place. Those are still in play, and the the beginning of those documents is individual education plan. Right, and so. Keeping in mind that those individual education plans might need to be uh, looked at really through a fine lens right now and, and some really specific goals, um, breaking everything down and making it even more individualized so that our goals for education for this child is not the same as our goals for curriculum delivery. It's two different things. It's two different things.
2: Oh my gosh, Uh, that, that is true. So once we have, once we have a shared understanding, which you know, sometimes it takes a really long time, and even might not even be shared when a parent is advocating on their own. But I will tell parents who are listening that to look up for uh, disability advocates in your city, state, or continent, uh, because I just had one of my families have a really great experience uh, without an IEP when they brought a disability advocate. When the school started saying, uh, "This is in the U.S.," and the school started saying, "Well, we, you know, with FASD, we do." this it's this this and this and it works with other students and then the disability advocate right away time out this is an iep just like what you said this is an individual that's great that it works for them but we need to focus on on this person as an individual where do you and this might be yeah. an
0: opportunity jeff for parents to really do some of their own research right because they're at home and And if you're trying to figure out yourself what's going to work and what does work and what doesn't work, um, this is an opportunity for you to figure that out and then take that forward for future IEPs when someday we're back in the classroom to be able to say, you know what, this is what helped and this is what worked and we need to make sure that that's implemented into future
2: that is one of the, that is one of the benefits that I've heard from the parents saying that they really got to see their kids try and engage in learning. And it's both, I had uh, both sides of the spectrum. One, they were surprised at what the the, the 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 their kid could do. And B, they could really see their kid struggle, the, you know, mm-hmm. like to try and keep up. And because, you know, my belief is they want to learn they want to go to school Absolutely. they want to engage and if they aren't able to there's a there's a disconnect whether it be sensory or skills or i'm going to start using what, what you talked about the uh, non academic barriers and, and barriers to interventions you talked about and i think this would be good to uh, you know for parents to hear you talked about um bottoms up intervention you mentioned this uh, all the time and you know i mentioned it it uh, this is brain first Right, we we Mm -hmm. a a brain based uh, perspective here, made famous, you know, by Diane Melvin and other other awesome researchers uh, around the world. Uh, What do you mean by that? Uh, You know, the layman's terms about bottom up intervention.
0: So what we're trying to do in the in an education system or in a classroom is we're trying to access that neocortex. We're trying to access that top part of the brain, right? And so in order to get to that top part of the brain, we need to make sure that we've settled the limbic system. Um, and so, and that's where our fight and flight sits. That's where um, the emotional regulation is, right? That's where we, we see kids struggle often with FASD. Um, and often students with FASD have really great, strong uh, connections to that limbic system. Um, and that's why we see them, you know, that's why we see lots of the behaviors and lots of the things that we do see is because of these strong connections to the limbic system. And so from an education perspective, we really need to make sure that we're addressing everything else in the brain. So things like food, are are we hungry? Mm-hmm. Um, do we have kids that are hungry? And what we know often with, with students with FASD is that sometimes there is um, some dietary issues going on as well, right? They metabolize food way quicker um, than the rest of us.
2: Yeah, and because they're right? great, they working twice as hard, right?
0: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think that it's um, um, really important to make sure that we consider that. So those kinds of pieces, really basic things like sleep and sleep patterns, that plays into it. That all plays into it. So when we can make sure that all of that's settled and under control, um, and realizing that. If we can settle that limbic system, then we have more opportunity and chance to access up here into the cortex, right? And so taking that brain-based approach um, and, and for teachers to teach, whether it's on Zoom or in a classroom, from that same approach, right? What do we need to do? We need to connect. Um you and I right now are it's a calmer and more it's a it's a more comfortable situation cuz we can see each other yeah. right and so we're we're connected yep. that way so those connection pieces routine becomes very routine becomes even more important Right now, when we're doing things online and when we're doing things through a Zoom, right? So if a teacher typically would have started a class with a morning circle, that settles the brain because now we actually know what to expect. We're following the same routine oh, yeah, yeah. and then we can access up here. If our brain isn't worried about, uh, wait a minute, this is a different schedule. Wait a minute. This is, this is unfamiliar. This is a threat. I don't know what's going to happen next. Now I need to be on high alert. We're not accessing the top part of the brain, right? So we need to reduce those things. We can do that, whether we're in a classroom or on a Zoom class, by putting in place routines and structure the best way that we can, right? Um, That helps. I think that that helps.
2: And you talked about movement helping? Right, because I'm looking at, they actually took notes about, uh, you had a slide about targeted approaches. Uh, yeah. And so you mentioned this earlier in in the interview as well. So food, uh, sleep, uh, movement. Um, you mentioned that uh, music could be a targeted approach to regulate an individual as well. And, yeah, sh- and you even shared a story where that, that helped the students uh, when they got upset uh, that the staff knew to regulate. Do you mind telling that story?
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So it was a a girl in a high school. She was about grade 10. And um, we worked actually first on a thermometer, Jeff, where we created, uh, she was having lots of regulation problems, and they were getting in the way of her being successful in a grade 10 class and in a grade 10, in a school. And um, so we were trying to prevent her getting to a 10, because a 10 generally meant that she ended up in the office in some kind of disciplinary situation, and we didn't want that. So we're trying to work away from that and um one of our ways that we did that is i we went through a thermometer and said okay so you know what what does a 10 feel like what let's call it something what does it feel like um, I think that it actually was, like, clawing somebody's eyeballs out or something. Re- really good yeah. like that. Well,
2: but that was her, like, when she was a 10, that's the way she could... That's how that's she her. felt, right? I get it, man. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely, that's what it is. So are you
0: and, and it just felt like she didn't have control. Understood. She just needed to do that, right? Yep. So then we kind of worked back from there, and, and we got down to, like, a 5 or 6. And I said, how are we going to know if you're at a 5 or 6? So... You know, she told us that a five or six was like right on the brink of losing it. Right. That was kind of the honey spot. And so I said, how are we going to know if you're at a five or six? And she said, I'm going to be, I'm going to be crying when I get to that point, I'm going to be crying. Um, and what she could tell me was that a six, it was a very short ride to a 10.
2: Oh, yeah, and right.
0: so that was important. That was key. So then we started talking about how do we reverse these things? And so if I start to see you cry, what, what are some things that will help you go from that five or six back down to a three? Um, and what she told me was that she thought that listening to music helped. Um, there was a couple of things. She said listening to music and typing was the other thing, too, that she, that she liked. And, and typing was kind of like at a four level. And so we worked that out as a plan for her, as an individual plan for her. That when staff, the helping staff around the school and the teachers that she had started to see the tears come, then they offered music. It was a simple, simple strategy. And when we got to the music, we were able to help her downregulate quite quickly versus if we let things get to the ten the whole day was shot, right? We had, we yeah, whole because to come to back, that
2: yeah, to come back from a 10, you know, it even, it takes your body even longer. You know, we know that cool. it, individuals on the spectrum have uh, trouble with their HPA, right? Hypothalamus pituitary yeah. axis. So their stress response is out of whack and they're always revving high, which would lead me, like, like you said, to go from a six to a 10 if you're already revving at those RPMs and you're having adverse outcomes and and it just keeps happening, that's the thing. Their their nervous system gets pounded uh, because the outcomes aren't good. And you are trying to reverse that by, like, the the shared intervention. I guess go down to your – you're talking about – Shared
0: intervention and also individual-led intervention. I didn't come up with the intervention. I'm not the one that said – Music helps everybody when they're out of five or six. Yeah. She was the one that was able to identify that, right? And and that I think also becomes really key is is uh, is asking the individual what helps.
2: Yeah, and then but see, this is the I guess we'll call them barriers to interventions. Uh, because I guess yeah, the shared understanding needs to come first. Because as soon as we individualize it, uh, it seems that they're getting away with. You know, or we have to move away from I, that.
0: Right? I
2: agree, I agree, but that's where people get to. It, you know, how, how easy would it be? I, you know, my guy in school, uh, you know, my foster, when I was a foster parent, um, he needed like the hat and the, the glasses, the sunglasses, and even sometimes an earbud just to drown out his own anxiety he said but Mm -hmm. for so many years in school it was take it off don't do that do it and he wasn't bugging anyone if they had just left him alone but the perception was if he did this um you know if he did this if they let him do this well then you know uh uh, yeah, it's not fair to the other, you know, blah, 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 that, Yeah, yeah, fair, that,
0: fair, is not equal.
2: So. Yeah. That's right. where do we're we really at. I on
0: that?
2: Yeah, because I think about, you know, my friends from Texas or Arkansas or that is the barrier. You know, it sounds great, of course. Yes, absolutely. We we would do that. Uh, but it's transferring that uh that understanding. But there's but right now we could talk about stabilizing the home. Right. So because at the end of the day, you know, one of the success factors is stable placement. You know, we know that from the FASD community to practice from the towards healthy outcomes model. We know that, and, uh, you know, so let's what else can we do to create a stable placement? I have things here that you listed music. Uh, we, we know that the sensory, uh, you know, not only is the brain develop for nine months and afterwards, but also the central nervous system. So you had change of lighting even
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely um change of lighting especially in this time of year right we're in we're in january where i am uh so our our lighting during the day we have less lights we're starting to notice that it's dark it's darker outside all the time and so how do we um increase the lighting when we need to create softer lighting and so if we don't have um if we don't have abilities to turn lights down on a dimmer switch, how can we kind of create some muted lighting sometimes to create a, a softer, um, light and fa- softer yeah. situation lighting becomes important. I think even sometimes things like smell, um, yeah, when no, we're at absolutely. home, right. We're cooking. We cook when we're at home, which you don't necessarily have that in a school, those smells of lunch being cooked in the same sort of way. Right. And, uh, we have reactions in our brains to, to those smells as well that becomes something for us to consider um and then those other sounds there's there's distractions we have pets at home and we have people coming and going and somebody's ringing the doorbell because we're all ordering our groceries in and um lots of different things right and so how can we kind of have some routine at home and have some routine in our situations so that we can Um, help help with some regulation that way
2: do you just like uh, do you just try it is it uh, you know if you see let's just say your kid is at a six you know a parent could see it would it just be turning off a light or like trying to dim it in the in the moment is trial by error is that what you would in your opinion you would suggest if this is new to somebody
0: yeah, absolutely. You know what? I think measure it, <laughs> measure it, get a piece of paper and start writing it down, write down. What's the intervention you're going to try and, and don't just try it once, but try it a few times and try it uh, a few times throughout the day. So, um, an intervention might help and might work before lunchtime, but it might not work at the same at the end of the day when our brains are tired and when we're trying to be finished with the day. Right. Um, and so we need to kind of, um, I, I would break it down so we have some columns and we can actually mark off uh, a.m., p.m., before lunch, after lunch, with a snack, without a snack, whatever it is, how, whatever the circumstances are when the intervention. And then we need to try it for a while. We need—we can't just try it once and throw it out the window.
2: Yeah. Because right? we, we do it. that. Oh, it didn't work. Right. That's but right. when, when didn't it work? What time of the day was it? Uh, you know, were they hungry? Were they like, you know. What... Did they have a good
0: sleep last night? Yeah. Right, all right. Of, there's all kinds of factors. So I think we need to try it. And I, I would give I would say to parents, try it for a week, try it okay. for one school week, right? A Monday and a Monday to a Friday. Cool. Try your intervention, measure it. Um, and then at the end of the week, look at it, look at it and you'll be able to see where did it work? When did it work? Um, And then from there, we make tweaks, we make make adjustments and changes. I don't think that we need to throw it out. um, But I think we can make tweaks and adjustments and changes. Um, And really, as far as what is it going to be? Pick one, pick one, right? You have to start somewhere. So pick one and and you know your child best. So think about what happens and what works in other situations. Uh, what do you do when you're going in a long, long car ride when we're not in COVID times, right? What are the kinds of things that you help do to deregulate so we can keep kids in seats and get from point A to point B? Yeah.
2: Um,
0: and, and how can we take those ideas and adapt them uh, to work in our, in our homeschooling situations?
2: You even talk about changing location. uh, We might think it might be a good learning uh, uh, station or situation for us, but it might not be for our guys. Uh, Listen,
0: at the beginning of COVID, I set up a beautiful classroom at my house, right? I had a desk for both of my kids and my husband was in the other corner and I had my space and this was going to be our working area. And that blew up in like the first three hours. Um and and now we all work in separate areas and it works for us, right? Um, but also even I working from home, I need to change my environment sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so sometimes I'm working here in my office space and I have my desk set up. Sometimes I have it set up so it's a stand-up desk and I can move that way. And then other days I just need a change of scenery and I can't go to anywhere. So I go to the kitchen and I work from the kitchen, right? Um and and I think that that becomes important to to have that flexibility and know that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work, right? And sometimes uh, we we when we're really rigid about those ideas, um, I had to I had to loosen up. My son really wanted to work from the couch, and everything in my brain said,
1: "Yeah, are this you is not, not good. yeah."
0: He's going to lay down. How do I know he's not watching Netflix? He's going to have a nap. Like all of those things went through my head. Um, we tried it. Guess what? Yeah,
1: like, he did
0: okay. Yeah. He did okay. Um, and, and, you know, we monitored, we watched. And when he started to slouch and kind of yeah, nod yeah. off a little, we said, hey, do you need a drink of water or do you need to get up and go for a walk so you can get moving again? Um, you know, we're, we're limited to what we can do, but you can put the dog on a leash and go around the block once. Yeah.
2: You uh, sure and can. That, it's a right? great, That's yeah. Good I, I tell parents walking is so amazing. Um, uh, it's yeah. yeah, for cool. regulation, just for burning cortisol and, uh,
0: and, and even some of the research around the importance of regulation of, uh, being an outside environment for regulation. Right. That environmental piece being outside, even when you're in the city, uh, being outside for as a regulation aspect. Right. And, and for our mental health. So important.
2: You you have uh, gum mentioned. so mm. Correct me if I'm wrong. And, uh, you know, from the sensory, from what I understand, when you chew, do you not release a chemical in your jaw? Have you heard that? I think I heard that from a century. So I'm going well, to have to look sense. this up because I could be confabulating. But I thought it was like serotonin, or it was uh, a, a it relaxed you because it released a chemical. I thought, I swear I'm gonna I'm gonna actually check this out because then
0: find it? send it to me. That's yeah, because
2: then it would make sense for baseball players because they have to be so chill in front of 50,000 people with a hundred mile an hour ball, you know? And so they're very nervous. And so, you know, the chewing gum, or the seeds, anyways, I'm going to look into that, but what, so why do you have gum then?
0: Because I think for that exact reason, I think that sometimes it, um, not always and not for every kid, sure. but sometimes it can just be something to give our, that we're, that we're doing in the background. Right, that that uh, we're not necessarily consciously thinking about, but we're doing in the background, and and it can help us um, kind of settle a little bit. Um, gum is a tool I specifically used in a high school. Yeah, actually. that's the story. He, the other
2: great story, because I think maybe that's- a parent could have a bowl of gum. So if you don't mind sharing that story,
0: absolutely. So I think that uh, we had a student, and and she was in high school, and she. The classes were 60 minutes long, or 80 minutes long. So that's a really long time for anybody. And what we were finding was that she wasn't lasting in class. She was lasting maybe the first 20 minutes, if we were lucky. And then she was asking if she could go for a drink of water. Could she go get her pencil from her locker? There was a thousand and two different reasons why she needed to leave the class. But she would leave the class, and then we would lose her. She'd end up going outside or she'd get caught up with a friend and that's it. She would never make it back to class. And so when we're talking about barriers to learning, her not having the bum in, her, in the seat in the classroom was a barrier to her learning, right? She wasn't engaged. So we looked at what's something that we asked her. What's something that we could do to keep you in class just for five more minutes? Um, and sometimes she said that she was going out. She, wanted, she was asking for a drink of water, but she wanted to have a smoke. She wanted a cigarette. She was a teenager. And so we said, what, what helps you? And she said, well, sometimes gum does. Um, and, and she actually said, sometimes I don't go for a cigarette. Sometimes I'm just actually wanting a drink of water. And sometimes gum helps with that, too. I just need something. So we started giving her gum. We gave every teacher that she had a pack of gum in their drawer. And when she'd come to them and say, 20 minutes in, can I go get a drink of water? They would say, can I can I give you a piece of gum instead? And we got so that she was staying in class for 60 of the 80 minutes. That was a huge win. The lessons and learning happened within that 60 minutes. And so that was a, a big win, a small strategy. And it was something that we were able to make universal and, and share with every one of her teachers so that individually, that was a strategy for her. That was a support for her that worked and um we were able to keep her in class she was able to focus again she had that gum and i think that um you know there must be something about the menthol or the mint kind of smell it, you know i think lots of our aromatherapy things that we that um that we sell and spend too much money on sometimes
2: oh yes yeah, is- i'm a, my sensi distributor's best friend
0: Right. But it's, it's those mint things kind of peppermint kind of yeah. brightens us and wakes us up. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that that sometimes helps for her as well. Right. Is, is being able to kind of um, reinvigorate herself and kind of. A little eucalyptus
2: in the shower, buddy. Money. He- yeah, money. That's what I do. With money. Now, before I see, it's almost an hour, and this is it goes quick, eh? When we get into her, uh, okay. I have. Uh, I want to talk about your overarching themes because I think they're amazing. And if you, uh, it's okay if you don't remember, I'll say them to you. Uh, we are okay. strongest when we work uh, together to support healthy development in children. Pretty, pretty self-explanatory, Absolutely. right?
0: Team teamwork is the dream work, right? That's key. And when we are working together, and we have a shared understanding and a shared goal we can make all kinds of differences and really kids need whether they have FASD or not they need their people to be connected that's how that's how we help kids grow and develop
2: yeah we all need connection and I I I agree with that uh there's a gentleman by the name of Brian Post he says something excellent he says connection before direction and this is some, mm, some of the, rela- some of the relationship, uh, based interventions you talked about, uh, all children have strengths and abilities. Uh, you know, it's our job as a team to help them, to help them grow. And that's what is, is, is I think one of the bonuses with, uh, with COVID, if we could call it a silver lining is you can absolutely pound your kids' strengths and just feed that, you know, and find out what they're good at and really help them, you know, develop it uh, at home. Uh,
0: You know what I would add to that? Yeah, add way, bud. Uh, So there's some work by a gentleman named Marcus Buckingham. And a lot of his work is based on uh, leadership and leadership within business and things like that. But I think that it's relatable. And he talks about strengths and weaknesses in a totally different way. And I love it. He talks about strengths are not things that we're good at. Strengths are things that strengthen us. And weaknesses are not things that, we, that we're bad at. That's performance. Weaknesses are things that weaken us. That takes a, that's a little bit of a sure. mind shift.
2: Uh, we're all about paradigm shifts, man.
0: Right. And so for me, when I l- listen to that and when I look at some of his work, I think, hmm, I think that that shifts a little bit because sometimes we get caught in these meetings where we start out and we say we're strength based. And so we start the meeting out where everybody says three nice things that Johnny is good at, three of Johnny's strengths. And then we spend the rest of the meeting <laughs> talking about all the things that Johnny did wrong and all the things Mm -hmm. that need to be fixed and all the things that here's the reality. If I'm not good at math and that's not something that strengthens me, that's not something that jazzes me. It's not something that gets me up in the morning or motivates Uh
1: me.
0: um, Am I going to be successful in math? No. So, So I think that in those situations, we can find strategies and we have things that we need to do to kind of get from point A to point B in mathematics as an example, right? But social studies might be something that strengthens me. Social studies might get me excited reading and learning all about history and learning about whatever that is. That might really get me jazzed. So then let's try to build some of that into our world, right? And so I think about our parents who are who are working with their kids at home during this pandemic um, and they're trying to figure out what's an individual program or what's an individual uh, approach to this. Maybe that's one of the things we need to look at is what are the things that strengthen you? What are the things that jazz you? Um, and what are the things that weaken you as a, stu- as a kid, right?
2: So, because I'm trying to wrap my head around what you're saying. Uh, so, you know, doing what jazzes you and what strengthens you which you you know which you like to do so you might not even okay so for example um uh, what i like to do what jazzes me is i like to play video games i suck at them i'm not good at them so it wouldn't be a strength but it is something that does strengthen my resilience furthermore we talk about no
0: it would it would still be a strength but maybe maybe it's not a something that you perform well at.
2: Okay, there you go. Okay, so it's not performance based. Okay, fair enough. Not performance okay, so yeah, I'm just I'm trying to wrap my head around. And then so if my if what if I'm one of my weaknesses is is, is math, putting me in those situations actually weakens me? Yeah, it's
0: it's like, probably exhausting. It, yeah,
2: it drains me like so yes, so not and is it a weakness, a but it weakens
0: yeah yeah and so so here's what here's what I did in choosing a career I didn't choose anything to do with math yeah
1: yeah right yeah.
0: and so um, I you know I was more I like the neurosciences. the, the brain jazzes me like I don't know what's wrong with me no, but I, that yeah. excites me right um, talking about infinite possibilities in other human beings that excites Excites me thinking about everybody has the opportunity to be successful. Everybody should have the opportunity to be successful, but everybody's got the ability to have, have success. That jazzes me, that excites me. So that happens to be where I've built my career versus building a career where I'm doing accounting every day.
2: Yeah. Right. That's true.
0: And sometimes in my job, I have to do budget. Sometimes that's just an ugly yeah. nature. Just like sometimes in, in grade two, you have to do math. Yeah. But is there a way that we can find ways to jazz it into strength and strength and build on our strengths and work with our strengths or work with what?
2: But see i told you you were smart right so the folks are seeing it yeah duh. oh well, you drink I'm it. Glad I
0: performed in the last minute
2: well you performed you performed this whole time i got two more things um and th- and i know this is probably an hour answer but as short as you can uh you say uh not only you but dr pi uh, all behavior is functional
0: key 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 what do you mean and that by that maybe- Maybe for our parents, this is like the biggest one right now, right? Is that all behavior is functional, meaning that there is a reason and a purpose behind the behavior. And as the adults caring for these kiddos, our job is to figure out what is that reason? What is that purpose? And then to respond to the reason and the purpose, not the behavior. So Johnny throws a desk. This is one that Jackie and I use all the time, right? In a classroom, Johnny... Johnny gets upset because he's frustrated because the teacher has given him a bad mark in math again or whatever the situation is. Sally keeps poking him in the back of the head. He gets upset. He throws a chair. Now to the teacher, that's a really dysfunctional behavior, right? Chair throwing is not okay. Um, And so are we going to deal with the chair throwing and the behavior or do we dig, ask questions like why and how and what has happened? How did we get here? ask questions, ask questions, ask questions, so that we can figure out what happened to cause the behavior, what was the function of the behavior. Um, and, and when we can deal with what the function of the behavior is, then we're actually dealing with the root of the problem.
2: Well, yes, yes, yes. It, what makes it hard is when the parent is also maybe hungry, sleepy, the expectations they've put on themselves as a caregiver to, to
0: perf- right? you
2: know, to, perf- to perform, what are you doing? I know it's, you got neurotypical, but we're all in it. We're all walking through the mud yeah. right now. What do you do to it. take care of yourself, Tracy? What do you do to stay sane, buddy?
0: So part of it is, uh, I try to keep work hours to work hours because, um, I think otherwise it's really easy when we're working from home to let that seep into the evening hours. Uh, we try to keep as much routine as possible so dinner time, if we sit down for dinner before COVID, then we're sitting down together for dinner post COVID. Um, we are celebrating successes, like the smallest little success. Uh, we're celebrating that. We celebrate it big and we celebrate it crazy because we need to have joy mm-hmm. in our lives. Okay. Um, daily physical activity. And I think this is key, key, key because, Uh, Most of our school systems, at least in North America, have now moved to, if we were in a regular classroom, um, in a regular school, we've moved to systems that include and encourage physical literacy through daily physical activity. So uh, nobody's coming to visit me during COVID. So the spare bedroom in the basement, all of that's been removed from the spare bedroom, and it's now a gym. We have to have places where we can move. Uh, kick a soccer ball. That's become really important for my kids. They both play soccer, so yeah, finding places, spaces to do that has had to continue. Yeah, and outside, goodness sakes, get outside for a walk. Yeah,
2: and do you feel like uh, also practicing that mindfulness and being gentle with yourself?
0: Yeah, putting it into perspective. You know what? (laughs) Just like we need to look through the lens of uh, look, we need to look through a different lens. This is a pandemic. This is a pandemic. Our, our My parents haven't lived through a pandemic before, right? This is a unique, unique situation that nobody in our world lived through before. So let's put that into perspective. Give yourself some grace and space. Know that automatically, automatically, we're constantly, every time you turn on the TV or you turn on the news, you're getting another COVID update. You're hearing more about the deaths. You're hearing all of that. All of that engages our limbic system just living in a pandemic, our limbic system is engaged because our threat, our survival is threatened. Yeah. And so being aware that already we're kind of teetering in that limbic system generally. Right. I mean, what, have we ever been more nervous going to the grocery store?
2: And and every time you have to be hypervigilant F- for a lot of situations that you never would have thought that you needed to spacing behind people. Uh, you oh my know. gosh.
0: Have you ever been in public and had to sneeze before? Yeah.
2: Well, uh, the holding in the cough, you might as well have the scarlet letter <laughs> on you, man, because you. Right. Yeah, yeah. You,
0: it's awful. It's awful. And it's awful for you as the individual, but, but everybody else is going through that same experience where, so we have constant reminders of our, of our threat of threat, yeah. constant reminders of threat. Um, and then we have additional reminders where we have these rules and regulations that we can't uh, be out past a certain time. We have curfews now in our community. So we have, we have those threats, right. And then we have, I mean, let's, we, we haven't even talked about all of the other things that are happening in the world, is world news that, that are oh, fresh, Oh yeah, the your right?
2: information diet, you have to, so the way I, we get our information is we got one of those little Google homes and my, uh, you know, not to get too deep, my, my dog has to sit up when she eats, so I have to feed her just cause she's got some esophagus issues, whatever she's sweet, I love her. And, uh, you know, you say, okay, Google play the news. And it's always the most important thing about the COVID. The numbers it is is the first uh the first five minutes, right? Like the first the, the stuff that you need to know is oh listen
1: from CBC News. Okay. <laughs> that, I said okay, Google, that's <laughs> yeah. my
2: phone. So yeah, it's four minutes long. That that's kind of how we get it. So yeah, to watch your information uh, diet as well. Here's here's my last. Uh, okay, so when this is over, what's the first thing you're doing? What are you doing when they're saying?
0: You know know what I miss the most, Jeff? I just miss the things that are uh, really basic. I want to go to my kids' soccer game. That's what I miss. I just want to go and sit in the field and watch them have soccer practice. Um, That's what I miss is those kinds of pieces, those kinds of things. Uh, In the summertime, if we we can get through COVID uh, times and get past it, um, I do two weeks in the Okanagan with my Italian family. Oh
2: beautiful. We meet,
0: we meet there and yeah. we just
2: Yeah, be hang Italian out and, yeah, and eat.
0: Hang out and eat and Car- be with each other, right? Car-
2: Carb- carbivores. I heard that phrase.
0: Carbivores. That's right. <laughs> yeah, That's right. And then really with my own family, my parents, um, uh just being able to have them to my house that is something that Yeah, I think about you know, with,
2: i yeah, really yeah i have a two-year-old and my 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 mom is it's killing her right you know she wants to spend yeah. as much time as possible now i i totally get it what about career
0: somebody
2: what about career-wise buddy like where what's going on in the future where where are you yeah. going what do you want yeah, yeah. where do you stay? oh the life
0: of tracy yeah um Well, if I were to take over the world, so currently what I'm doing right now is a similar kind of work. I'm looking at uh, integrated models of support in schools. Um, The grants that I'm currently coordinating is is mental health specific, uh, which I love because I find ways to fit the FASD population within that definitely um, and have lots of conversations about mental health. And so really taking an integrated approach Placing success coaches and wellness coaches in schools, who can talk about actually just all the things we just talked about—get outside and move—and can teach kids. I think that that's something that, um, unfortunately, we've kind of moved away from. Right? We've, we we live busy lives in non non-pandemic times, um, and so those kinds of basic things of caring for ourselves is not necessarily something that generations are teaching their younger generations. And we live in a world where we have increased mental health um, and mental illness. And so how do we kind of um, curb and address some of that? So that's some of the work that I'm doing right now. Um, I, I just, I keep looking for connections and keep looking for um, for opportunities to integrate research into practice. Because I think that we have, we're just surrounded with, and, and particularly through the FASD community, We are so closely connected to some incredible researchers. Oh,
2: they're Uh, researchers are rock stars. I, you got to make sure. Yeah. They're, they're amazing.
0: And so, any way that I can take that research and help be somebody that integrates it into, um, into actual lessons and actual daily activities or daily things that we do to change our practice, um, and, and hopefully influence policy, that's, uh, you know, it's it's those kinds of things that jam me and get me up in the morning. Yeah, I like
2: jam. I like that. Uh, that's a hockey term, right? Playing with some jam. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. So, if somebody's listening to this and they're uh, want to reach out to you for a professional opportunity, are they going to go to professionalswithoutparachutes.com? dot com? What's the best way to get a hold of you?
0: Yeah, right now that would be the best way is professionalswithoutparachutes.com. dot com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and things like that too. Um if people want to connect directly with me, that's always an opportunity. Um but definitely professionals without parachutes and and um we'd be happy to connect and yeah. do some work there too. And there's some good resources on on PW we shorten it to PWP. Oh. Some good resources on PWP. Um that would really actually help with the shared understanding. So there's some videos yeah. that, uh, you that got, that's, share. uh uh
2: the brain hierarchy. You have those in the short videos. Absolutely. Uh, I teach it to every one of my classes. I'll always remember watching Jackie uh, talk about it in one of the videos. And I went, that's it. Like, this is it. Threat perception. You
0: know what? Once you have that, once you know that, you see the world through you don't ever unknow. I,
2: I agree. It's the matrix. It, it's the matrix. So if you want to get, you know, it's, it's the blue pill or the red pill. If you want to take, I forget what one of them is. Go to professionalswithoutparachutes.com. Uh, if you need to reach out uh, uh, to Tracy, thank you for doing this. I love talking to you. Uh, you're a, a very good wealth of information. Will you do this again?
0: Hey, in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Absolutely. I loved it. Loved it. Loved it. And you know what? I totally forgot that the first time
2: we met was at a restaurant in uh yeah bonnieville or yeah yeah. no i it well because the conversation struck me uh you know i had been on the road for i don't know it was awesome but you know i it was weary uh but then i've been having a lot of different conversations and you just started talking shop and i was like holy shit she knows exactly what's going on so uh after i was Done being intimidated and i learned how cool you are uh i'm just so so glad you were able to do this so thanks for coming on bud oh,
0: oh that's awesome thanks for having me thanks for the opportunity i love it
2: well i don't want to say i told you so but i told you so tracy you are amazing thank you so much for uh doing this Okay, we went a little bit long and I respect your time, but I still there's some things I, w- I want to touch on because it was good. I was scribbling notes so fast. Uh, I love what she talked about uh, barriers to learning uh, ac both academic and non academic uh, barriers to learning. How do we reduce the non academic barriers to learning so we could get uh, to the learning? Um ha- I like what she said. I I don't work in the education uh, system because I think they're doing it right now. I don't think she was uh, throwing shade on the education system, uh, but it's teachers are confused. Like just like she said, if you go into a classroom and there's thirty different students with uh, different IEPs and different issues and diagnoses, and they have to still teach the curriculum that they are told to because that is their job. It is hard for teachers. I am, I will never slag a teacher. I used to have an ill opinion of a teacher, of teachers, but that went away real quick. Here's a, here's a real quick story. So when I first started, I guess, I don't know, a year or two into it. And we had our Facebook page, FASD, uh, Facebook.com slash FASD success. It's our public page. It's awesome. And what I was hearing from parents is how, awful school was suspending the kid kids not learning not following the IEP over and over and over again long story short I got the opportunity to become a teacher's assistant and work in a school with a a young man and I had I came in with a chip on my shoulders because I'm like okay let me get in here let me see what's going on what's going on with these teachers why are they acting like this why are they doing like this uh, doing this the chip on my shoulder lasted oh about two classes And how I witnessed this teacher try and hold it together. Well, they had to teach thirty different uh, preteens, you know, with different issues, and how they didn't haul off and punch one of the students in the face. I'll never know. And so it's up. I kid. I kid. Uh, But the utmost respect, the chip fell way off my shoulder, uh, and there must be something else going on. And they're not trained. Teachers aren't trained, like they. She said. They have one course on special ed- education that encompasses everything, but we know that FASD is so unique, right? And then she said something super revelational: uh, teach to the student who has FASD, and you'll reach everybody else. Uh, take take the the abstract and make it as concrete as possible. I thought that was very powerful and she said she's allergic to the word strategies because this is individualized no two individuals on the spectrum are alike and no two interventions will be the same for the two people so while there's a general consensus about what works and she talked about that to really get to the next level it has to be absolutely individualized to that person And then she talked about shared understanding, which is often the tough part for caregivers that leads to a shared goal and not just the teacher and the parents having a shared goal, but the students being involved in that shared planning as well. She also talked about uh, the bottom up uh, interventions in terms of the brain. Uh, she talked about what she means by that is starting at the bottom, starting from your uh, brainstem uh, to your limbic system, which she talked about. And really quickly, the limbic system is your like survival. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's got your limbic system, which is your uh, fight or flight, and it also has your reproductive system in there as well. And so for teenagers, anybody with a teenager knows that those work very well, but the tough part is getting to that neocortex that higher-order thinking, those executive functionings that allow us to plan, organize, regulate ourselves. So once we do bottom-up interventions, we're able to, instead of doing it top-down, we are trying to help them regulate so they can access those critical uh, functions. I also really like what she said about Marcus Buckingham's work. His strengths are not uh, things we're good at. They're things that strengthen us. So that's almost like if the interventions aren't linked to their interests, they won't be interested. Like, what do they like to do? Even more so than what maybe they're good at. And then weakness isn't what you're weak at. It's what weakens you. And uh, walking my dogs out in minus uh, 25 degree uh, weather weakens me. And then, of course, she said a whole bunch more, but everyone has the opportunity to be successful. Everyone should have the opportunity uh, to be successful. And everybody has the the ability to be successful uh with the right supports i do want to uh chime in though when we talked about uh chewing gum as one of the relievers uh for you know for stress uh and i thought there was maybe a chemical release from the jaw i couldn't find that but what we do uh we we, did find out is that it increased blood flow and I got this from lifehack.org about the benefits of chewing gum and it has been shown that chewing gum increases the uh, flow of the blood to the brain by 25 to 40 percent an increase in flow of blood to the brain results in an increase in the amount of oxygen delivered to the brain which which in turn increases brain function and efficiency cognitive functions like memory concentration and reaction times improve when people Chew gum and how she correlated that to. Having one of her students only lasting 20 minutes and then being offered gum, which, you know, increased the blood flow. So everybody, uh, chew gum because chewing gum from the same article also uh, helps release nervous energy and combat stress and anxiety. Psychologists have four years known that chewing gum helps ease tension and release nervous energy by reducing the stress hormone cortisol. We talk about that and we know... Uh, w- in individuals with fetal alcohol, the the mechanism, right, that produces cortisol, their HPA is can be damaged, can not work as well. So they're, they're, they're producing a lot of cortisol. When you chomp on a stick of gum, in emotionally charged situations. You are likely to feel calmer, more alert. Actually, chewing gum could be a good substitute for nervous habits like leg shaking, nail biting, or when you're feeling anxious. So not only for yourself but for your loved ones as well. So everybody chew gum. Get some gum, chew it, try it out, let me know how it works. Okay, so this is the end of the show, right? If you're new to the show and this is the first time you listen to the end of the show, I just want to tell you how much of an absolute ass kicker that I think you are. There's a few reasons. One, you're making it through the winter. Uh, When you're listening to this, it is February 1st, okay? We are moving on and you are getting on and you are doing a fantastic job. One of the things we talked about in this podcast was that nobody... And I mean, nobody is coming out of this a Rhodes Scholar. Everyone will be at the same level. And what your kids learn is what your kids learn. And I'm going to keep repeating this. Mental health first. Your sanity first. You are the ship you know that, uh, that drives this whole process. And I need you to be in a good space. So if you're not in a good space, I need you to get some community. You can join our community by going to facebook.com slash groups slash FASD forever. It is a a closed group. uh, And you get in there and there's over 4,000 caregivers as we speak. Get some training, get some education, join our newsletter. If you join our group, uh, there's an option to leave your email and you can, actually you get a, a free downloadable copy of uh, my e- book making sense of the madness it's a, it's a it's a survival guide and get education get community uh, get your team together and let's get it on because we are not losing you are not losing you are a winner you your family's a winner your kids aren't bad they're just misunderstood. So I need you in a good place so you can help other people understand them. All right. Oh, you're the best. Also, you can email me, Jeff at FASD Forever dot com, and just say hi. I like meeting people uh, who listen. It's uh, this is the. I I miss speaking in front of people. And so this is the second best when I get to communicate with you through email. Okay, other than that, I'm out of here. I hope you have an amazing day. Keep up the good work. I love you. And we'll talk uh, next week. All right, bye-bye.